In Luke chapter 4, the Lord Jesus Christ comes to his hometown of Nazareth. He walks in and he opens up the scriptures when he's given an opportunity to read. And he reads Isaiah 61 verses 1 through 3. And he sits down. The high king of heaven. And graciously said, these days, this day, are these words fulfilled in your midst. And the whole crowd marveled at the gracious way that he read Isaiah 63 and said they applied to him when he sat down. Perceived to be the son of Joseph, a poor carpenter. They all turned and looked at him and he said, You're going to expect me to do the miracles that I did in Capernaum. But there's a rule, and that is a prophet is not without honor, save in his own country. I get honor everywhere I go, but I don't get it from my own hometown. And I'm not going to do the miracles here that I did in Capernaum. And I want you to know that in the days of Elisha, Eliseus, there were many widows but only one was delivered. And the days of Elisha, there was only, there were many lepers in Israel, but only one was delivered. The widow was from a foreign country and a foreign city called Zarephath. Right. The leper was the captain of the armies of Syria. Right. He brought up the doctrine of election that God made choice for him to do miracles in Capernaum that he wouldn't do in Nazareth. That Elijah helped a widow in Zarephath, but not in Israel. That Elisha healed a leper from Syria, but not in Israel. That crowd rose up in anger and led him to the brow of a hill and tried to kill the Lord Jesus Christ. That a few minutes earlier they marveled at how gracious he spoke. That is what the doctrine of election, and that is what the doctrine of God's discrimination in the affairs of men does to rebels who hate to submit to the God of glory. Therefore, do not resent me, and do not hate the God that I'm presenting. Humble yourself before Him, and do not be like the rebels of Nazareth that rejected the Lord Jesus Christ. The world is filled with public do-gooders that are murderous hypocrites. They will rush to the aid of devil-worshipping, mooching sluggards and anarchists in Haiti, But they'll publicly skewer Pat Robertson for having an opinion that the Creator God might be involved in what took place. That is hypocrisy. And that is the hatred of God coming out of those loving souls. They don't love except themselves. They love the human race. They exalt the creature over the Creator. Man's more important to them than God. Do you all know what I'm talking about because I am not going to deliberate? Pat Robertson and we differ on many points of doctrine. But he said very quickly on Tuesday that they ought to consider that the God of heaven had sent this as a judgment for their pact with the devil that that nation made to throw off the yoke of France a hundred years ago. And he's been skewered publicly for saying that. He was skewered publicly for saying anything about Katrina being the judgment of God on this nation for killing all the unborn children that it does with abortion. I want you to recognize, and you should not listen to those people. It is a waste of your time. It will corrupt your soul and defile your conscience. 
And once your conscience is defiled, then you will be sinning by not sending money to Haiti. Don't listen to them. They want to save the spotted owls in Oregon while they stick a suction wand inside a woman and pull a child that rushes to the other end of the womb apart limb by limb. And they do it every day. There's 115,000 killed like that every single day. 42 million per year. They don't care about life and they don't care about children. Do you notice that the ones that are the most vocal about helping in Haiti are abortionists, sodomites, anarchists? Danny Glover, an actor, says that the event, the earthquake in Haiti happened because global warming was not settled as the most serious problem facing the earth in Copenhagen a few weeks ago. There is no such thing as global warming. He's retarded. And he's a rebel. Genesis chapter 8 and verse 21 says that there is going to be heat and cold while the earth stands. The only time there's going to be global warming is when Jesus Christ comes back and burns this place up. Now that will be global warming. It will be global in extent and it will take a fire and it's going to have fervent heat according to 2 Peter chapter 3. This is what we believe. The, the, the loudest of them, the most vocal of them, and the public proponents of helping Haiti are abortionists and sodomites, anarchists and sedition, seditious against government. This should tell you about the degree of real love and faith they have in the matter. As they wipe the blood of innocent children from their hands to feed lazy Haitian sodomites. Since when are children more important than adults? I just want you to, to look through and see the error on everything they say and do. Nowhere in the Bible are children made more important than adults. That's a ridiculous concept. You say you a child hater? Well, ask my seven and the seven that married them or want to marry them. I love my children. But listen, when I read the pages of Scripture, God didn't make a distinction and let all the two-year-olds and under live in the flood. When he sent Israel into the land of Canaan, do you know that he actually said, make sure you kill every sucking child? Do you know what those words mean? That means rip the nursing child from its mother's breast and dash its brains out because I hate the seven nations of the land of Canaan. This is the Bible. Why did he hate the the seven nations of the land of Canaan? Because they rejected the knowledge of God that is visible in the universe and worshipped statues and offered their children in sacrifice to those statues and engaged in sodomy and bestiality to such an extent that the Bible says if the Israelites didn't go in there and kill them, the land would vomit out its inhabitants. There is a holy God in heaven that made marriage for one man and one woman. And when two men crawl around like dogs on their hands and knees, he's going to judge that nation, and he's going to judge it ferociously. And he did. But he blessed Israel. But when Israel acted like the Canaanites, he judged them in kind like he had judged the Canaanites. And when they repented, he would have mercy on them. And if those nations would have repented, he would have had mercy on them. But they wouldn't repent. And they didn't repent. These public givers donate tokens of their wealth. They might get up to 1%. I want to tell you something, brethren, as we listen to this, and as we humble ourselves before the Word of God, we better be 
the most generous, the most loving, and the most charitable in the ways and to the objects that God has commanded us to be charitable and generous. Or we will walk out of this place and we will heap upon ourselves wrath against the day of wrath of this holy God because we will be hypocrites. We want to be the most generous people that walk this earth. Our brother just prayed that. We want to scatter, but we want to scatter to the objects of charity that God teaches us in the Bible. Not that the media teaches us, who also support everything else that we stand against. Listen, if you listen to the media enough, you'll stop using toilet paper because they have to cut a tree down to make your toilet paper. Stop listening to the media. I'm glad they cut trees down. And if the last tree gets cut down from my toilet paper, I'll be thankful that they cut the tree down. And if you don't like me talking, just listen to those people. They're sick. Do you know what God told Adam and Eve as soon as He created them and showed them the whole world? Take dominion of this place. And if you eliminate half the species, use them. Wear them, eat them. Make shoes out of them. But use them. Have dominion over this world. This is the God of the Bible. And this is what He's taught us. Those same people will get you feeling sorry for spotted owls and trees. They're tree huggers. We want to be God huggers. And thank the Lord for that tree. And that it grows so fast. And that we've got toilet paper as long as we can see into the future. Because all we have to do is keep planting and keep cutting and keep processing. Thank you, Lord. He told us to take dominion of this world. But I want you to understand that if you start to listen to them, they are contrary to the Bible. And if you listen to them enough, they will pollute your conscience to where your flesh, it's your flesh. It's your flesh is going to influence your conscience. They're going to influence your conscience. They're going to show you all these pictures that appeal to your fleshly impulses. And the devil is going to get the two of them together and stir it up. And you will give yourself trouble. Why don't you go back and read the Bible? Read the account of the flood again. Read Exodus 1 through 14, what God did to Pharaoh and why he did it. Do you know why God did to Pharaoh what he did? Do you know why it took ten plagues to get them out of the land of Israel? Do you think God could have taken his people out the first day? Do you think that Moses could have shown up and they're, all of a sudden they're, what do you want to say? There were limos in the Old Testament. There could have been limos and they could have driven to the promised land. The reason God wanted to take ten plagues to punish Egypt was to get himself a name. Our God wanted a name for himself. So he raised up Pharaoh to the pinnacle of power in the universe and then put him in the middle of the Red Sea after he had to eat bread with frogs in it. After he had to crawl into bed. Do you think he had one buzzing fly in his bedroom? There were flies all over that land. He turned a faucet on in his bathroom and out came blood. His land was messed up. And his oldest son was dead in his crib. Or dead in his house with his harem. This is what God did to Pharaoh. Go read it again. Then you'll understand the God of the Bible. And do you know what it should do to you? Stand in awe and sin not. Knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. But he's our father. He loves us. We are on our way to heaven. And anyone that messes with the people of God, he messes with them. And anyone that messes against the Word of God, He messes with them. Our Lord has the last laugh in the universe, and He does laugh. Psalm 2 and other places speak of Him laughing and having them in derision. 
that's derisive laughter. That's laughter making fun of his enemies. If you think that those people that are pumping Haiti support right now have a good bone in their bodies, then why don't you figure out what they have said and done about Pat Robertson? Why don't you find out what they believe about abortion clinics? Why don't you find out how much effort and how much money they have spent on persecuted and murdered Baptists in other countries at the present time? Why don't you find out what they say and think and do about creation being taught in our public education system? Why don't you find out if there's a good bone in their bodies? Because there isn't. Don't you be mistaken about what the Bible teaches. The Bible says that the plowing of the wicked is sin. When a wicked man gets in a plow and plows the earth that God created and puts seeds in the ground and then eats what's in the ground, that is a witness from God that he is good. And he doesn't give God the glory. His plowing becomes sin. Right. Everything, in order for anything in your life to be pleasing to God, it must be done by faith. That there's a God in heaven who's given me breath and given me strength and given my oxen strength that I can plow this precious ground. Thank you, Lord, for the sunshine that I can plow. Thank you, Lord, for the rain that I can plow. Thank you, Lord, for the earthworms that aerate this soil. Thank you, Lord, that I can plow my field and put seeds in the ground and raise a crop. And Lord, thank you for the wonderful taste of that food. Thank you for the wonderful strength that derived from that food. Thank you for the full belly that is going to put me to sleep. But before I go to sleep, Lord, I love you and thank you for all that you've done for my little farm. That's a total different approach to life. Totally different. And though we will not go out and plow fields tomorrow, you're going to go out and plow in your respective fields. And you want to thank God for BB and T. A couple of you at least. And you want to thank God for Publix. And other places, yes, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm looking right at you, Travis and Jennifer, I didn't want anyone to know who I was talking about. But we, we, we thank God, otherwise even going to work is a sinful deed. Are you thankful? Are you thankful for everything? By faith is what makes all the difference. These people have no faith. They're zealous humanists. Why do they do it? Because the highest God they know is another man. Humanity is their God. Humanity can solve all problems. Humanity can undo the work of God. If we all band together, we can undo the work of God. They tried that once before. Do you remember where they tried it? Was it in the plains of Shinar? Was it in modern Iraq? And the name of that place was Babel. Did he there confound their languages so that they could not finish their project? He will confound and he is confounding this world that they cannot finish their projects. They're no more sincere than Judas Iscariot. Judas Iscariot once said, hey, wait a minute. That's a waste of money. You Americans living high on the hog, driving multiple cars, living in houses that have more square feet than you need in most cases. You Americans are living too high in the hog. There's poor people down in Haiti that could use some of that luxury that you're experiencing. No, Judas put it this way. Hey, don't break that expensive bottle of ointment and anoint the feet of the Lord Jesus Christ. We could take care of a bunch of poor people with that money. When you hear something like that come out of their mouths, listen, I'll tell you that the average person in this church is so far out giving any of them, it's a joke. We just give it to the objects that God tells us to. Why did Judas Iscariot say that? Why did he want the feet of the Lord Jesus Christ anointed? Is that a waste of money? You bet it's a waste of money. 
It's a waste of money for the glory of God and the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you know what Jesus said about that? She has made preparation for me before my burial. And this is going to be spoken of in all the world for a testimony to her. Every single nation that ever hears the truth of the gospel hears about a woman that wasted money on the Lord Jesus Christ. Praise God. What a waste of money. That is the best use of money. The best check you should ever write is to the work of God in whatever measure we find it in the next few minutes or seconds. Minutes. They yap about what Jesus would do. They don't even know the Jesus of the Bible. Not a clue about him. Christians know more about love and charity than any others because God has loved us and saved us by his grace. You poor professionals that work in offices where they come and pound you, and those of you that are officers in your companies where they come and pound you to make quota on their United Way contributions. I'm sorry about the efforts you have to go through, but I do understand because I went through them myself. And for those that I could trust that they wouldn't perceive it as bragging, I would ask them what percentage they give to United Way, and then I would tell them what percentage one, never mind, I don't even like to talk about it, but one brother in here said, you ought to walk into your senior, your office, your supervisor's office and lay down your W-2 and say, are you willing to put your, not your W-2, but your tax return, and ask him to lay down his tax return and see who gives the most as a percentage. That's right. But they will pound you for their stupid little united way. United. We're all going to be united in united nations and united ways. Listen, God made borders, and I thought he told us in Malachi chapter 1 that you're going to be able to look at borders and say that nation is blessed of God and that nation is not. Do you know what we're going to say from the borders of America? And we've been able to say it for a good while. Just like Israel, the Lord be magnified from the border. Did did you see those words? The Lord be magnified. Do you know what made the difference in America? The Lord. The Lord. He made the difference. What a huge difference he made. Brethren, accept some of the next things I'm going to say. And I hope you know the scriptures well enough that you know that they're supported there. An earthquake is an act of God. It's not a national, it's not a natural disaster. Unless you're going to call, if you want to call it a, a natural disaster, then first of all, call it an act of God because that's what it is. Earthquakes. And other acts of God like that in the natural realm are to punish wicked men for the glory of God. We can read about them throughout the Word of God. We can see big floods. We can see pestilences. We can see famines. We can see wars that God raised for the punishment of wicked men and for the deliverance of his people. The nation that was affected in this particular matter is a devil-worshipping followers, our devil-worshipping followers of the man of sin. We've been over that enough in the first service. Pagan nations are without excuse before the Lord Jehovah. God has shown them enough in the natural creation that Romans 1.20 says they are without excuse. There's a God in heaven and we want his spirit inside us. We do not want to dance around a tree to increasingly frenetic music until we are possessed by some spirit that we think is coming from our grandparents. This is Haiti, voodooism. They're all voodoo. Some of the statements that are made about people who have gone and spent a decade in that nation... Almost every single inhabitant, to to some extent, practices voodoo. We want the God of heaven inhabiting us. But when you dance around in your yard, after a Roman Catholic priest begins it with a prayer, and you are begging for a spirit to enter you and take possession, these are their words, take possession of me, and then you're on the ground rolling around and foaming and spazzing out, 
You know, in the Bible, whenever I read, read about people like that, they were brought by their parents to Jesus to have the devil cast out of them. Because anyone with the Spirit of God in them is not acting like that at all. They are calm and full of joy. They are peaceful and giving praise and thanksgiving to God. They are singing while they have shackles on their hands and feet, as Paul and Silas in the prison of Philippi. God made the poor, and there's always going to be poor. You nor the United Nations are ever going to get rid of them. Jesus taught that in the New Testament. You're always going to have poor, he told Judas. Let this act of honor be done to me, because you're not going to get rid of them. Let's go over our objects of charity. First, family. First Timothy 5, 8. If a man provide not for his own, he hath denied the faith and is worse than an infidel. Your first responsibility of charity is to your family. Very quickly, I don't have time to be, to elaborate on these, and I've elaborated on them before. Do you know this verse? Proverbs chapter 13, verse 22. A good man leaves an inheritance to his children's children. If you're giving all your money away to the children of Haiti, how much do you have left over for your children and their children? That is who you ought to be saving money up for. That is why you ought to, dep- to deny yourself some of the pleasures of life to have a little bit over left over to put away in a, in a savings account for your children's children. And if Christians would practice the Bible, every generation of a Christian family would get better and better. I hope you can see that. A good man leaves an inheritance to his children's children. That means he's not watching every telethon that's on the television to take the last dollar out of his pocket for someone that he has no obligation in the Bible toward. None. He has his children. The nation of Israel never took donations, nor did they ever give anything to any of the surrounding nations. Never. Nor did the Lord Jesus Christ. Never. Do you know when the disciples said, we don't like all these little children around? Do you know what Jesus said? He said, of such is the kingdom of heaven. But do you know what he described them as? These little ones which believe in me. Little ones that don't believe in him don't mean any more to him than big ones that don't believe in him. Read the Bible and believe it and understand it and accept it. And set your thinking based on the word of God. Christian financial charity is first of all to your own family. Parents owe help to their children and children to their parents. Ideally, the parents ought to lay up for the children. 2 Corinthians 12, 14. But if your parents haven't laid up for their children, then it is your duty to take care of your parents in their old age when they can no longer take care of themselves. This is the word of God. And if you don't practice it, then you have denied the faith of the Lord Jesus Christ and are worse than an infidel. The first rule of obligation is your family. Since an inheritance is assumed from godly fathers, a priority has to be made to save money. You mean you have a savings account while there's children in Haiti that don't have anything to eat? Absolutely! Because I want my children to have something to eat 30 years from now. When these social do-gooders have completed the wrecking of America. Of course that's true. Do you mean that you would break a bottle of alabaster ointment on the feet of the Lord Jesus Christ when it could have bought meals for the poor? Absolutely. Amen. And that woman goes down in history as someone to be remembered throughout all time. Yes, we believe that. Yes, we practice it. Yes, 
We have a savings account for our grandchildren. Yes! We're not going to break into it for the children of Haiti. Number two, Christian financial charity is to the poor saints in your church. You owe it to the body that God made you part of. There's so many places we could turn. 1 Corinthians 15.15, I mean Romans 15.15 says, Nevertheless, brethren, I have written the more boldly unto you. That is not the verse I wanted. Let's say it's verse Romans 12.13, distributing to the necessity of saints is a general proposition right there of giving your money to the poor that are saints. We find out that God has, first of all, put us in a body where He has made us members of a body. He describes us as ears and, and a mouth and hands and feet of a body. So we're closely connected to each other and we take care of one another in the body that He gives us. And then it would be saints outside our church, but I'm not to that point yet. Every member in a church has a responsibility toward the other members of that church if they are suffering true need. Acts chapter 2 describes the Spirit-filled church in the day of Pentecost. And it says about them, in verse 44, all that believed were together and had all things common. They shared and shared alike. They had a lot of visitors there from out of town that had come there for the feast of Pentecost and were converted by the gospel. They didn't want to go home. They wanted to stay, but their livelihood was back home. They shared where they could. They sold their possessions and goods and parted them to all men as every man had need. Not as every man wanted, as every man had need. And they, continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart. See, this is the church of the Lord Jesus Christ in the city of Jerusalem, in the province or tribal area of Judea, in Israel, or Palestine under the Roman government in the world, but they cared about each other. They shared their stuff with each other because that's your second line of responsibility as a child of God, the the local church that God has put you in. So much more could be said about that. In, In every local church, is there provision made in details of how to take care of widows? If a widow is trusting in the Lord, and she's desolate. Does the Bible tell a church that it's their duty, if there's no family members that are believers to take care of her, then the church will take care of her, and that is not a token gift from once in a while, that you give them 20 bucks and say, go out to eat a couple of times. It's daily ministration. It's providing their daily needs. That is the welfare system of the Bible. And who are you doing it toward? The widows in your church. Because the qualifications for a widow to get that are listed in 1 Timothy chapter 5 in 16 verses. And they're believing widows. Dedicated widows. Christ-serving widows. Church-serving widows. It is a strict list of qualifying factors to get through. Because that's the way charity is in the Bible. It's never emotional. It's scriptural. It's spiritual. It's calculated. It's measured. It's defined. It's limited. It's for specific people. It's for specific things. In proper order. It's not emotional. You don't need to see some fly crawling on the eyeball of some bloated baby in Africa. There have always been bloated babies in Africa with flies crawling on their eyeballs. No one in the Old Testament cared and no one in the New Testament cared. You say, well, why don't they care? They do care. 
for the children of the children of God. And that's where the care was. The little ones that believe on me do not hinder them from coming to me. But if you want to feed yourself a steady diet of telephones where there's flies crawling on eyeballs, the world, the devil, and your flesh are going to defile your conscience and you're going to be messed up. But you're not going to be messed up from this pulpit. And we are not doing this to save money for our pleasure. We are doing this to use our money wisely as God's stewards, to use money in the way that He said in His priorities. First, family. Second, church. Third, saints, wherever we might find out about them. A tithe was taken every year in Israel. A third tithe was, you know, that means they gave 23rd and a three, 23 and a third percent in Israel. But they didn't have a tax system either because they didn't need it. Right. You understand? They paid 23 and a third percent in Israel. Because it covered everything. The Lord told them, that all the poor within their, their gates were to get their hands on that third every third, that tenth every third year. Because we want to take care of saints wherever we can find them. The verse that I started out with this second assembly, as you have opportunity, do good to all men, but especially those that are of the household of faith. The true measure of Christianity is giving financially to our brethren, not pagans. It's the love of the brethren. First John chapter three. It's the love of the brethren that's righteousness. It's the love of the brethren. That is a proof of eternal life. It's not the love of the world. In fact, you're sinning against God by supporting and being an accomplice in their wickedness by helping them out. Go read Second Chronicles 19 about Jehoshaphat doing that toward Ahab. And he was of their nation. And he was of their church. But he was a heretic in their church because he was worshiping Baal. In Acts chapter 24, it describes the Apostle Paul bringing alms to his nation. He didn't take alms to other nations. No way. Are you kidding? If he had spent alms on all the poor of other nations, he wouldn't have had any left for the nation of God. So he brought it to the nation of God. Acts chapter 24. You know, in Matthew chapter 25, and I've already said this, when Jesus lines up the sheep on his right hand, and he says, you gave me when I was hungry, you gave me food to eat, they're going to say, Lord, when did we ever give you food to eat? And he's going to say, because you did it to the least of these, my brethren. When you do it to the believers of the Lord Jesus Christ, then you are fulfilling the third level, the third priority of your charitable giving. First family, second church, third, believers, saints, wherever they might be found. You know, we helped in Mississippi and Louisiana during Katrina because we knew of churches and believers down there that were that had been hurt by that hurricane, and we helped them. And we would be willing to do that again. But any church that's in Haiti right now already has sponsored churches in the United States, so they wouldn't even be there because that is a pagan, darkened little place on this planet. And there's plenty to take care of them. Christian financial charity fourth is to... I don't want to get to that yet. Look at Acts chapter 11. Acts chapter 11. Oh, I know. I'm running out of time. My outline gets more and more confusing as I see more and more and less and less time. Acts chapter 11, verse 27. This is one I mentioned to you at the end of the first assembly. But hear these words and think about them and let them sink into your souls so that you are on solid ground that you know why we do what we do, why we say what we say. Acts chapter 11, verse 27. And in these days came prophets from Jerusalem unto Antioch. This is Paul's home church in Antioch of Syria. And there stood up one of them named Agabus. And signified by the Spirit that there should be great dearth throughout all the world, which came to pass in the days of Claudius Caesar. 
Then the disciples, every man according to his ability, his ability would be limited by taking care of his family. His ability would be limited by taking care of his church. Every man according to his ability determined to send relief unto the brethren which dwelt in Judea, which also they did, and sent it to the elders by the hands of Barnabas and Saul. Now that would not be crossing the Mediterranean Sea. The Mediterranean Sea was crossed in 2 Corinthians 8 and 9 when Paul took up a collection in Achaia and Macedonia and carried it to the poor brethren, the saints in Jerusalem. Because he wrote and commended them for it. And he said, you, have, you are partaking of their spiritual things because the gospel came out of Jerusalem. And for you to return some carnal things to them is a wonderful trade. But notice, it's all within the kingdom of Jesus Christ. It's all within the family of God. There are, there are more verses, but listen, brethren, I've, I've got to go on. The fourth one is somebody that God puts in your path in the ordinary course of business. It was explained by the Lord Jesus Christ when he said that the two great commandments for you to live by are to love God and to love neighbor. A lawyer stood up, and they always loved to pick on words to get away from the force of the argument, and said, who is my neighbor? Jesus said, a certain man. He just picked a Samaritan on business between Jericho and Jerusalem. He comes upon a wounded Jew. That Jew has been ignored by a Levite and been ignored by a priest that passed by. They just went over to the other side of the road and ignored him, and we are never going to be like that. Someone may accuse us of being like that because we're ignoring Haiti. But we are never going to ignore someone that God puts right in our path. And Haiti is not in our path by any means. It's somebody that God puts in your path this afternoon or tomorrow. Somebody that you know, a neighbor, someone you work with. You are going to help them. The, the, the Samaritan was on his, on his path in business to go to Jerusalem, back to Jericho, He was in his ordinary course of business, and the Lord arranged by providence that he would find a wounded Jew in the ditch. Ordinarily, you know, the the Jews wouldn't even help the Jew. The priest and the Levite wouldn't even help the wounded Jew. But the Samaritan, though Samaritans don't like Jews, stopped, poured in oil and wine, bandaged him up, put him on his ass, took him to an innkeeper, gave the innkeeper enough money to keep him for a while, and says, get this man back on your feet. And if it takes longer than this money will cover, then I'll, I'll reimburse you for that the next time I see you. He didn't buy, as I've said, he didn't buy him a television, didn't get anything for his entertainment. He didn't care if the children had Christmas that year or not. He just wanted to get that man back on his feet. And it was a man in the ordinary course of business. That Samaritan did not get to Jerusalem, nor did he get to Jericho and ask at the local hospital, are there children in need? What a waste of time. Because if God hasn't put them in your path, then they're not for you to worry about. Because you know what? He's already put them in your path. They're called your children, your parents, your aunt, your uncle, your grandparents. 1 Timothy chapter 5. They're called your church members. Acts chapter 2. They're called poor saints. Matthew 25. Acts chapter 11. In other churches. You are creating a burden for yourself that God never put on your shoulders. There are other men that want to put those burdens on your shoulder. Do you know what Jesus said? They love to bind heavy burdens on men's shoulders, but they won't lift them with even one of their fingers. Amen. There's ten fingers for ten percent. For those of you that are faithful givers, they won't even lift one finger. That's why I said one percent to ten percent. Do I sound harsh? I absolutely sound harsh. It's hard to preach it. My flesh, the world, and carnal Christianity today are all united against me. And the devil's stirring them all up. 
to defile our consciences. Do you know they will send people from churches down to take care of little Haitian children that don't have food. And those men that leave, leave their children that are fornicating in their own backyard, but they're not there to be the kind of parents that they ought to be. There's a priority for every man. And those, pe- those men will die having given there and not have an inheritance for their children's children. The Bible tells us where to put our priorities. I hope that I've, I've preached about the Samaritan in the past. It is such a good story. Even if you meet somebody that you are culturally different from, if they have an immediate need, help them. What's an immediate need? Food, clothing, shelter, emergency, medical help. If in any of those areas you can help them, and I had testimonies at break time about helping neighbors like that, you are going, the Lord's going to arrange for something like that to take place in your life. You weren't looking for it, but there is somebody in need. And you're going to step forward because we are going to fulfill the second commandment the way the Lord told us to. The Samaritan did not go to Jericho or Jerusalem looking for wounded Jews. He happened into them by God's providence in his ordinary course of business. You say, what about the strangers that were in Israel? Amen. You know who those strangers were? They were our Gentile fathers that wanted to be like a Jew. They were just born to the wrong set of parents. So they came and got circumcised and lived among the Jews. That's the only strangers that the Old Testament ever provides for. Not strangers in Egypt or Philistia. Make sure you understand your Bible. Apostolic Christians raised money only for poor saints. And it's throughout the Bible. And I don't have time to turn to the references. Throughout the Bible, Acts, especially the book of Acts, you can see that it was the emphasis to take care of the poor saints of the Lord Jesus Christ. Throughout the New Testament, this is taught. There is not a single mention of the poor, of the unbelievers, in any city, at any time, anywhere, in either testament of your Bible. And if you're taking care of them all the time, you won't have it when it's right under your nose. And you ought to be taking care of it. The response, the apostles responded to disasters by caring for poor saints. I just showed you that in Acts chapter 11. There's a disaster. A famine is in the earth. There are many people hungry. And they took care of the poor saints. Money was sourced for, in Greece for Jerusalem, ignoring the Greeks. Money was sourced in Galatia for Jerusalem, ignoring the Galatians. Sent across the Mediterranean Sea for the church of God. Under neither testament did God's people give charity to pagans. Charitable giving is not all that it seems to be. There's an emotional side to it that the world uses, and you ought to use the side of faith by following the Bible. There's so much that could be said. What should your attitude be? It should be the same attitude you have when you read about Pharaoh in the Red Sea. Do you give God the glory and rejoice? He shook down his enemies who worshiped the devil and who claimed the Pope in Rome as the vicar of Jesus Christ that marries the mother of God. My God doesn't have a mother. My God doesn't have a father. My Savior has a father and a mother. The man, Christ Jesus. He is also God in the flesh. Don't, get, don't be mistaken. Bible charity requires an act of God that renders a person unable to obtain food, clothing, shelter, or life-threatening medical treatment. It doesn't provide for human foolishness or a shortage of desired things in your life. Because you're to take care of your own family first. The Bible teaches this. Giving to the poor was not the most important thing for Jesus. His anointing by Mary cost many children some toys. But he blessed that woman for taking care of him and for honoring him before his burial. What should your attitude be? It should be like seeing Dagon on the floor 
before the Ark of the Covenant in 1 Samuel chapter 5. What should your attitude be? It should not be like the Pharisee in Luke 18. Lord, I thank you that I'm not like that man. And that isn't what we have said this day at all. Here's what we've said. But what I am, I am by the grace of God. But his grace that was bestowed upon me was not bestowed in vain, and I labored more abundantly than they all. That's the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 15.10. You do not apologize. But what I am by the grace of God, and when I look around, I don't see the grace of God anywhere else, and I just want to help them oh so bad. It doesn't say that at all in 1 Corinthians 15.10. It says, what I am, I am by the grace of God, and I labored more abundantly than they all. Yet not I, but the grace of God that was with me. Do you see the balance there? It is by God's grace. I did use that grace as well as I could. We do not say I am not like other men by my own ability. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 4, 7, Why would you glory in anything that you are or have when anything you are or have is a gift that you received? 1 Corinthians 4, 7. We do not try to pinpoint causative sin in others when we should be repenting ourselves. Jesus was told about a tower that fell over and killed some. Jesus said, except ye repent, ye shall all likewise perish. Make sure that our, our lives are free from sin before we see God's judgment on others and we talk about it. It's not wrong for us to admit what all men know about the character of the Haitians. They are voodoo worshipers. They are devil worshipers. That's well known by all men about that little country. We need to be thankful that God has chosen us out of this world. First John 3, 1 says, Behold, what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us, that we should be called the sons of God. The world knoweth us not, because it knew Him not. We are separate from that world by God's choice of us. There should be joy in rejoicing. Do you know what Jesus did? In Matthew chapter 11, as He preached, He saw that God had made a severe distinction and discrimination in His audience. That the ones who had been to seminary and the ones who were the most educated and the intelligentsia of Israel rejected his message. But the poor, the prostitutes, the publicans, the tax collectors that had sold their souls to the Roman government to collect taxes out of their own brethren. Jesus saw them hearing his gospel and believing it and repenting. And he lifted up his eyes to heaven and he said, Lord of heaven and earth, I praise thee, O Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hid these things from the wise and prudent, and revealed them unto babes. Even so, Father, because it seemed good in thy sight. That is what we do. The differences that we see, we thank thee, Father, O Lord of heaven and earth, that you have made this difference, and we bless and we praise thee for the good things that you have done for us spiritually and carnally. We bless and praise your holy name. We don't apologize. We don't try to erase the difference. We don't try to get the other category to believe when they won't and they refuse what we what is offered by God and by us. We don't do that. That's the attitude. You shouldn't there's not a thing you should feel guilty about. You should be thankful. That's why 2 Thessalonians 2:13 is so important. We are bound to give thanks always to God for you, brethren beloved of the Lord, because God hath from the beginning chosen you. If it hadn't been for God's choice, we'd have been born in Haiti. If it hadn't been for God's choice, we'd be kissing the toes of the Pope. If it hadn't been for God's choice, we'd be believing that cracker is our God. If it hadn't been for God's choice, we'd be dancing around a tree in our yard, begging for possession by the devil himself. It's by God's choice. And so we are bound to give thanks to that God who from the beginning chose us to be saved from such ignorance and superstition. Thank you.
Holy Father. Thank you, Holy Father. The verses in the Bible that tell you not to gloat when a personal enemy falls are for personal enemies. They don't apply to God's enemies. There's no one in Haiti that's my personal enemy. The ones in Haiti that I've been talking about are the enemies of God. I have no personal gratification whatsoever in what took place there. But I have great pleasure in seeing my God vindicate himself against those who have changed the truth of God into a lie and worshiped and served the creature more than the creator who is God blessed forever. Amen. I want to warn you, especially women. If you subject yourself to too much reading or you watch too much of this on the television, they are going to pull the, the chains of your conscience and they're going to mess you up. As soon as your conscience is defiled, then you're going to sin if you don't sin. You're going to be really messed up. And you're going to steal from your children. You're going to steal from this church. You're going to steal from poor saints. And you're going to steal from the next wounded Jew that God puts in your path because you watch too much of that garbage. We live in a time where we need to turn that stuff off. There is no profit in it. They are not following any Bible rule for charity. They are just playing on your heartstrings. They are not playing on God's heartstrings. We want to play a melody from God's heartstrings. And God's heartstrings are family, church, saints, wounded Jews by providence in our ordinary path. Do not feed yourself with that stuff. If you want to read some verses on it, it's Romans, the last ten verses of chapter 14. It's Titus, the last five verses of chapter 1 will tell you that if you get your conscience defiled, then you are messed up. I want to save you from that. There's much more that could be said. God set our priorities. We ought to have financial vision that's 2020 for family, 2040 for church, 2060 for poor saints throughout the world, and 2200 for everyone else. That's being legally blind. It's not sin to send money to a relief fund if you've covered all of God's priorities for your charitable giving. But make sure you've covered all your priorities for God's charitable giving. Right. We need to be ready. The Bible tells the rich in 1 Timothy chapter 6, be ready to communicate, willing to distribute. The communication there is not sending an email or saying, hello, good morning. The, the communicating there is communicating stuff, money. We should be willing to communicate and ready to distribute what the Lord gives us. And so when we come out of a sermon like this, instead of thinking, I don't have to send, you should be thinking, I need to prepare to take care of my family, right down to my children's children, and including providing for my parents if they didn't provide for themselves. I need to be ready to take care of the poor in my church, especially widows and fatherless children, because that's what the Bible says. Hear me well. It also says... That next, it's the poor saints, the little ones that believe on Jesus. Throughout the world, if the Lord shows us, we will take care of them. And then I need to be ready and have sufficient funds set aside that if I run into a wounded Jew, I can help him as well. This is what the Bible teaches. This is where God wants us to put our priorities. Don't let Madonna, don't let Madonna or Danny Glover get on television and jerk your chain. Please. Listen, their combined intelligence, let's not even go there. I can't even think of a creature because it wouldn't be doing the creature justice. The Word of God dictates how we think, how we speak, and how we act. What we've talked about in this assembly of our church is not something that we need to go broadcast to the world. You do not need to go to the job tomorrow and tell everybody what you think about the people in Haiti. You can just keep that information to yourself just like we do everything else the Lord's shown us from his precious Bible until they ask. When they ask a reason of the hope that is within us, then you give a reason for our hope, and you give it by sanctifying God in your hearts 
and in all meekness and humility, share with them the word of God. We did not do this today because we're better than the Haitians. We just know that we've been chosen by God to be his children, and he's given us a priority for our charity. But we had better be the most charitable and the most giving. Otherwise, we are going to bring a burden upon ourselves of responsibility that's more severe than they're going to bear. Lord, hear us. Guide us. If we've done anything, in word or deed, that is displeasing to you, Holy Father, show us, and we will repent of it and turn our lives upside down to do what you would have us to do. We love your scriptures. We love the freedom they give us, but we also see the responsibility they bring upon us that we do have obligations for our own, in our families, in our church, in the household of faith, and to those you put right in our path. Heavenly Father, be with us. In Jesus' name, amen.